question, what kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. What kind of humanity we wish to create amongst ourselves and how we want to create it. And it is that mutual constitution of the city and who we are and what we are that is something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. And welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, CJSF.ca, and available always as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst, and she's been a vocal critic of the ruling Vision Vancouver Council and is the first ever Municipal Green Party councillor. On the program, an in-depth interview with Vancouver City Councillor Adrian Carr. We'll be discussing affordable housing, transportation, and her recent run-in with Vision Vancouver and the city's general manager. That and much more on the show. Stay with us. This is The City, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions.
zonder zelf te haten, u niet op wijsheid roomt, nog van uw deugden spreekt. And that's Mother Mother with their recent release um, off their latest album, Sticks, the track Cry For Him. Adrian Carr has been active in the Green Party for many years, and uh, she's run provincially, federally, and locally. And in the November 2011 municipal election, uh, she secured the last seat on council based on the city's at-large voting system and became the first Green Party councillor elected to Vancouver City Councillor. She is currently one of three councillors not part of the ruling Vision Vancouver, and along, uh, she, along with her colleagues, uh, two colleagues from uh, the nonpartisan association, the NPA. On February 25th, uh, I spoke with Councillor Carr at length about a number of issues um, and her concerns as a city councillor and uh, a number of issues ranging from housing to transportation um, and the very definition of affordability and, and her concerns about ways it's being um, redefined uh, in the city. Um, so that uh, we're going to go into right now. This is uh, City Councillor Adrian Carr. Well, can you first tell me you have an interesting motion going to council tomorrow um, on February 26th. Can you tell me uh, what uh, you're uh, taking to council? (laughs) Uh, My motion for the council meeting of February 26th is about the affordability of the housing, the rental housing that's being created by the former STIR program, the Short-Term Incentives for Rental Housing Program. Um, and my questions uh, are really what uh, what did STIR deliver in terms of housing um, at rents that is truly affordable to the average Vancouverite? And after that point, um, in terms of where housing has been being created, um, actually in, in you know built, um, have the rents stayed true to the original projection of what those rents might be? So we have two two issues here. The first one being when when rezonings often go through stir or now it's uh, called rental 100 the program um, a proposed rent is included by the developer um, to staff and to counselors um, to help um, in making that decision to approve or reject the rezoning so that's the first issue and and um, counselor card in these have you seen um, that these rents um, are on target to be um, at that average um, income? No, they're all over the map. The red, the rents that um, are projected by the developers um, don't necessarily come in at an affordable level, but truth be told, we only really got a figure that, uh, that nails down what affordable is and what it means to an average person, a single person, that's in the rental market in Vancouver. So in, in the last council meeting two weeks ago, uh, we had a staff report. The report card was on um, housing and homelessness, and in that it identified a figure of $975 per month as the, the amount of rent the average single person in the city of Vancouver who's uh, in the rental market can afford to Pay. Well, now that we've got that figure, it, it allows us to, to establish a benchmark. If that's the figure of sort of average Vancouverite rental, then what has this public program, this program that has been put in place with follow-up pro- programs ongoing now, um, at a 
cost to taxpayers, what has it actually delivered in terms of truly affordable rents? How many are over? How many are at that level of 975 a month? How many are under? Um, I, you know, I haven't kept track of all of the programs, and some of them predate my time on council. So, uh, but I do know that some of the ones that I've seen come to the council table are much higher than that $975. I'd just like to know what what you know what the stats are. Let's all get at least the same figures from which we can work. How affordable has the actual housing, the rental housing, um, been that has been approved at the city council table in terms of affordability for the average Vancouverite? When you say this is coming at a public cost to uh, Vancouver taxpayers, what do you mean by that? And most of the programs, in fact, um, all of the ones except for one that is at the council table now, and I can't talk about it because it's in public hearing, uh, but most of them um, are programs or, sorry, are development proposals where the developer, in exchange for getting, um, uh, you know, higher density and providing to the city um, some, you know, new rental housing, has been um, alleviated of the cost of having to, to come up with a community amenity contribution and in some cases the development cost levies. And those are in the multi-millions of dollars. So, you know, those, those are real benefits to the developer. That's the cost that, in a, in a sense, the taxpayers of the city have to pick up because every development project does have community amenity um, outcomes or, or, or needs as well as development needs. So if the city's picking up the tab, the taxpayers, um, I want to know, is it to provide really affordable housing or not? Mm-hmm. The, other, the second part is uh, whether these proposed uh, rents are actually um, what is delivered. And do you have faith that, that that's actually the case? Or it sounds like you have concerns that those rents that are proposed are um, obviously they're not actually uh, required. Um, they're, they're flexible in nature. I, I am under the understanding. Yeah, I, you're right that they are, um, they're just projections. They're not um, anything that the city can hold a developer accountable to. Um, and yes, I have concerns, and those concerns have been highlighted by people coming to council and giving presentations at uh, various public hearings. And they have said, look, this is, you know, this is what's happening in my neighborhood. This report is saying that this developer is going to give us the rent of this much, but I can tell you that that they said that these were the figures in a previous application that was approved, and this development project is now on the market, and the rents are far higher. When I asked that question of staff at one of our more recent meetings, staff confirmed that the rents are just projections and that there's an understanding that if the market changes and the average market rents are going to go up um, over a period of time, that probably, most likely, um, the rents that, that are delivered in the end when that project is finally built will match the market and thus be higher. And again, my question um, is, let's find that out. What is the gap if there is a gap how big is it 
um, and uh, and re- reminding you and and your listeners that in fact um, the the point of these programs is to entice developers to provide some affordable rental housing, and if it's not truly affordable and it's coming at a taxpayer cost, I've caused to question whether this has been the right public policy. One. Uh curious anecdote with 1142 Granville. Um, I believe this would have been uh, passed before your time on council, um, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, I just did a little investigation and um, it was interesting that they were renting these as fully furnished apartments. Um, And these these were tiny in terms of the square footage um, because uh, to my understanding also the bylaw um, was relaxed um, for these um, units at 1142. So I just thought it was curious that I was wondering, well, whose rent? I mean, obviously, fully furnished is going to push those rents up. Um, I would be under the impression. So it was just one of those moments where I was questioning who 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 are these intended for? And I guess that's something yeah. that um, perhaps your your motion is intending to address. It absolutely is. In in my mind, um, I think the benchmark of um, what the average person can afford as a rent in the city is an important one because if we have programs um, that we are subsidizing at the city level, my feeling is that they should be providing a housing that's affordable for the average person. Otherwise, what will happen is our programs will deliver housing that will continuously be pushing the rents up and up and making our city less and less affordable. To take the other side or, or Vision's um, argument, this program is used to stimulate uh, development in, in purpose-built rental housing, which um, has not um, been occurring um, for, for some time at, to the degree that, that we need. Um, in in your opinion, how are we to address um, the the dire need for for rental housing in the city? I don't have a problem um, if the, if it's very clear and honestly stated that the intention of the stir program and others that have come subsequent to it. Um, is if the main point and the objective is simply to provide rental housing. I think we do need more rental housing. I don't have a, a you know uh, any kind of qualms about about that. My problem is if we are if if the city if Vision in particular is saying that the rental housing is de facto affordable and we are reaching some targets in terms of making more affordable housing in the city and we don't have the data to back that up, there's a problem here. I mean, if it's if affordable housing is the issue, and that was also part of the of the mandate of Sturt, not just delivering rental housing, which I can agree with, that's what it's done um, to some extent. I mean, maybe not 100% rental, but, but every single project had some rental in it. Um, so no no problem, and, and truly the you know the problem has arisen because federal government, senior government in particular at the federal level, has has reneged or, or pulled back on tax incentives it used to give to uh, to people who invested in building and rental housing. So after that went, which was many decades ago, we hardly had any rental housing built. But that's not what's being stated. What's being stated by Vision, what's being stated at the council table, is that this is all affordable. All rental is. Affordable, and that's ridiculous. All rental is not affordable, and if we're not achieving real affordability, and yet 
affordable housing, and I'm saying affordable has to mean affordable to the average person in this city, um, if, this, if these programs aren't achieving that, then we need to at least recognize it and get on with developing programs that can deliver greater affordability, difficult as that may be without senior government help. Do you agree with affordability being the definition that CMHC uses as 30% of household uh, median income or median household I mean, income? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I've been I've been hammering at that at the council table ever since I was elected, and at the last um, uh, open public uh, meeting where questions were asked. Um, so this is this is the public hearing. Can't discuss the project in general, but you can review the information because it's out there in public now. Our staff verified clearly that every agency involved in housing, every single one in Canada, uses the CMHC definition. Mm-hmm. I was curious when I read the the mayor's um, uh, the the task force on affordable housing and their final report and their definition of affordable or of affordability um, did not you look in the glossary and it does not directly cite that CMHC uh, definition of thirty percent. Uh, which I found to be surprising. Um, it does mention 30% in passing, uh, but then when you go to their glossary definition, um, it says that it's a term based on a whole variety of things and it changes over time. And it was sort of this um, fluid, kind of flexible definition. And I'm just wondering if <laughs> if you have reflections on if that report, um, from my interpretation, didn't actually provide a clear enough um definition of affordability, whether um, the city is ever going to be able to achieve affordability if it can't actually get its head around what that actually <laughs> means. Right. Well, at the time that the Mayor's Task Force on Housing Affordability gave an interim report early or in the summer of 2012 and then gave its final report, I raised at both sessions in, uh, as we got the report delivered to us at the council table the very fact uh, that, that it's a huge problem when affordability isn't defined by that CMHC standard of 30% of the mean household income or the, you know, the, the average... Uh, it's not average, it's, it's a household's mm -hmm. income. Um, and, uh, you know, it, for me, um, I, I got back an inadequate response, and I hear it at the council table frequently uh, that, well, you know, really affordability uh, should be defined as, um, you know, it, it's more affordable if than, than a person going out and getting a mortgage and buying something. Well, that is not the definition of affordability by any any standard across Canada and, and indeed across the, you know, certainly across Canada and every, in any institution. Mm -hmm. um, and if we don't nail down the definition as the, the proper one, my issue is that we will not achieve affordability. And it's not good enough to just put a spin on it. Affordable means, you know, less less cost than buying. Um, you know, it's you're simply not going to achieve it, or you're going to you're going to achieve it because you've redefined, you've moved the goalposts so that you can achieve it. And I mean, that's a waste of time. We might as well and and duplicitous. Uh, what we need is is honesty around the definition of affordability. Let's stick to it. The CMHC definition is the standard definition. And then let's look at what our programs have delivered, and that's what my motion at the council table tomorrow was about. Let's look at the, that definition um, and, uh, and our programs 
our, whether our programs have delivered. And, and if they haven't, then at least we can honestly take a look, a hard look at what we might do differently. And maybe also have to be honest about the fact that we can only achieve some modest gains at the city level with the fact that our tax dollars are running, what, eight cents on the, on the, 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 the one dollar that every person pays in, in Texas across Canada with mm-hmm. senior governments getting in 92% mm-hmm. um, of that, of that tax dollar share. Um, and, uh, and not let those senior government levels off the hook. On that point, uh, do you think with a provincial election coming our way, we're likely to see a more generous provincial government likely to step in and, and offer some support for social or, or um, you know, uh, non-market housing programs? Well, I certainly hope so, but I have not seen the leader of the NDP, Adrian Dix, come forward with a very clear housing plan, and I raise it with him when I see him. Um, we absolutely need, uh, you know, the that this issue to be a subject of debate as a as a very significant issue of concern, certainly to people across the Lower Mainland. In Vancouver, um, the housing affordability issue ranks at the top of the list time and time again. So I would hope that, there, that, that the opposition leader would, in fact, make some promises on this. I know that the Green Party is very clear and has said that the 1% solution is the right way to go, and that's certainly what housing advocates call for, 1% of your, your GDP, and at very minimum, 1% of the budget of your government assigned to creating affordable housing. Mm-hmm. There is no country in the world, not one, that doesn't have a housing crisis um, that at the same time doesn't have a national housing plan and federal government, senior government support um, in, in terms of pumping money into creating affordable housing. Not one. Yeah. Canada doesn't have a national housing plan. The federal government downloaded housing onto the provinces, which has less tax, tax uh, dollars than the federal government does, and they've been downloading it from there to the, to the city, um, which has even less tax dollars. I mean, we are in in an incredibly egregious situation in Canada, in the province of BC and the city of Vancouver, where we have a crisis in terms of housing and housing affordability. And we have governments ducking balls and trying to, you know, lob something off to another level of government and not take responsibility. Yeah. Some of our um, syndicated listeners will be hearing this after uh, your motion um, is voted on. And I'm just wondering if if you want to reflect, um, perhaps preemptively, on on what uh, you anticipate that discussion to be like in council chambers and the response from uh, Vision Vancouver? Well, I don't anticipate, <laughs> uh, you know, an outcome. They certainly hold their cards close to their chest. No one's talked to me about it. I know every time I raise the issue of defining affordable housing in the CMHC um, vein and, and pushing on this issue, I get pushed back from them, um, and, uh, and that disappoints me. I think that, you know, if housing is indeed an affordable housing is a, a, an issue that Vision wants to champion, they, ought, they should be voting for this motion because everybody, uh, regardless of political stripes, should want to have clear facts on the table about how well we've done in delivering really affordable housing. 
We're seeing uh, a number of uh, proposed um, rezonings and redevelopments um, of considerable size and scope across the city. Um, Oak Ridge, uh, with over 10 towers ranging from any, going up to 45 stories in height. Um, we have uh, a number of towers headed for Chinatown. I just want to ask you to reflect on, on what we're seeing across the city and um, if you have any uh, have any um, opinions or, or um, concerns about uh, the, the development trajectory. Yeah. Uh, so far in my uh, 15 months at the council table, I haven't seen one development pro pro proposal rejected by Vision. So they've all been passed, and in some cases, they've been passed over huge public outcry. Uh, the RISE proposal, for example, at uh, Kingsway, Main Broadway intersection, um, you know, was one that, uh, that really um, had uh, local citizens um, very um, angry in terms of it not complying in their minds with their very recently um, past community plan. So um, what I'm seeing is uh, developers getting their way in terms of increased density. Um, I'm, I'm seeing local residents' desires to have projects that are more fitting with their neighborhood, and they're not, not one of them. As far as I've, I've heard at the council table has said, I don't want development. It's mostly around the fact that the development is so much higher or so much denser and, um, and, and, and projecting you know, so many more people on an already stretched set of public amenities and public infrastructure um, that, that people just say, whoa, wait a second, our, you know, our quality of life is in jeopardy here. The community plans that we've de developed are being steamrolled over. Um, we're willing to work with the developer. We're willing to work with the city to come up with something that isn't as dense, as high. And in some cases, I've seen in the Little Mountain situation, for example, which I was the only counselor to vote against, the the local people, you know, had moved so far along the the, the path of um, uh, of accepting higher density and higher building heights than when they started, and they just held a you know a line at uh, at ten stores because of the blocking of the views of Little Mountain itself, and it wouldn't have meant much of a change. In, in fact, the density could have been incorporated according to the neighbors' wishes and the local citizens' wishes. Could have been incorporated in slightly larger footprints of buildings. They wouldn't have minded. They just didn't want their views blocked, and no. That they wouldn't do it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Vision said no. I, I made the suggestion at the council table, and they turned it down. So um, I'm I'm seeing um, a rift develop between uh, local community citizen groups and and the Vision dominated council. I'm seeing developers who seem to get what whatever they want in terms of the development proposals that that are put forward, and I'm seeing the quality of life being threatened by that. Yeah. There was a, a while back an amendment to the False Creek North official development plan to allow uh, the developer, I, I guess it would have, it was Concord, um, to build out um, with the same square footage, um, but just increase the number of units. So uh, decreasing the size of the units. Mm -hmm. um, and in the staff report, it said, um, realizing essentially a softening condo market or real estate market. 
And this surfaced in a recent article, I think in, uh, three weeks ago or so, by Francis Bula about um, the shrinking size of accommodations or housing in the city. Um, I mean, I've some of these places that they're selling are tiny, and I, I when it goes to council, um, do counselors? I, I mean, my opinion would counselors have a role to play in ensuring that we have um, enough housing stock that that meets the needs of. Uh, not just single people and couples, but families. And I'm just wondering if you have thoughts around that as well. Yeah, I, I raised I raised some deep concerns around the the, intent, the very tiny size of some of the uh, buildings being uh, sorry, some of the condominiums being uh, projected uh, for um, and, and some of the rental units being projected for some of these newer developments uh, that have that have recently gone through, um, like at the Rogers Arena, um, and you know there's two things that come up. One is that um, that Really, you can't, if you have such tiny indoor living spaces, it's incumbent upon the city to make sure that we have the public amenities out there that can really make up some of the difference at least, which means a very robust park and open space system, um, a, a lot of uh, public amenities like, like libraries and community centers and you know, the, uh, a wide range of, of both cultural and recreational uh, facilities that, that people can go out to enjoy because you're not going to spend a lot of time in a 300 square foot um, you know, um, bachelor suite. So um, there's there's that that issue, and then the second issue is really, you know, what is sort of a livable amount of space, and um, and making sure that in this, this city we are not destroying or are not going to be approving the destruction of older rental housing stock, which is much larger in size and um, and lower in rent at this point, and and replace that with uh, with rental um, units or condos that are tiny and expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think that you've raised an exceedingly good question. It, it does speak to the issue of people's health, people's quality of life, um, and, and the livability of our city, which has always been a hallmark. We've been proud to be the world's most livable city and amongst the top. And, uh, and we may see a decline in that if we keep on the path we're on. I want to quickly uh, move to the current uh, Community Center Association negotiations with the Park Board. And um, perhaps if you can just briefly recap, um, you attempted to put a motion forward and um, and I'll let you fill our listeners and I think most people are familiar with what happened, but um, if you can just briefly provide that um, background. Yeah, I put a motion forward to the council table, and the intent of the motion was to um, to focus on what is clearly city council's responsibility, which is the budget, and to find out what might be the risks to the city budget if a park board plan that that has been widely talked about ends up um, uh, ends up getting passed, and community center associations um, are no longer in charge of uh, the the finances and the programming at their community centers, um, which may lead to people in those community center associations who have been active volunteers, in some cases for decades, simply walking away saying they're no longer interested in volunteering. 
what would be the impact? And by the way, those same community center associations do an awful lot of fundraising on the side to um, expand and amplify the budget supplied by the city and supplied by the, uh, by the revenues that they gain by people using their centers. So what would be the impact if we had fewer volunteers or if we had less fundraising happening at that community center level? Um, in other words, what, how much more, because the city, uh, through the city council-approved budget, which comes largely from the taxpayers of the city, how much more would that budget have to be increased to cover those costs? What happened was my, my motion was ruled uh, out of order by the city manager. I challenged the very idea that a city manager can um, can uh, withhold a duly submitted motion by an elected councillor from getting to the council table and getting getting it discussed, um, and uh, got myself a legal opinion on that. Um, took it to the, the at the next council table that wasn't there on the agenda. Um, I uh, I stood on a a, um, a point of order and asked the mayor uh, to put my motion back on the table and he refused to which meant that really you know the mayor and then later in the meeting when I challenged him again and in, in putting my motion onto a uh, the next agenda as new business he refused to do that ruled it out of order and I challenged his ruling and all of vision voted in support of him so I've clearly got vision on the record that they um, they didn't want to deal with my motion and um, and then uh, then, too, the mayor on record saying that he thought it was fine that the city manager uh, could have the authority to, uh, to, to deny my motion, and I vehemently disagree with that. That is not the way democracy works. There are clear distinctions between legislative and administrative functions, and it is not up to an administrator. I mean, the city manager and all the staff are hired really by city council um, and by virtue of our budget and indirectly in some cases, as in, in the case of the city manager, that they cannot interfere with the legislative process in terms of denying a, a, a motion that is clearly um, uh, coming forward in due process and that doesn't contravene any sections of the, um, of the uh, uh, Vancouver Charter from getting to the council table and being discussed. Now, typically the city clerk, your motion will go to the city clerk and it's usually regarding the, the sort of the technical side of a motion to make sure the language is appropriate and um, has been um, drafted properly. Is that that's that's your understanding? But it would not be the place for the city manager or the city clerk to say, no, not at all. Absolutely, okay. that's right. I mean, if my motion had been not worded correctly, there was a correction made to some wording, and that was fine. I can, uh, and I have had corrections made before. That's not a problem. Of course, I want to make sure that my motion is worded properly, and that's that's their job to ensure. Well, it's the job of the city clerk to ensure that that happens. Um, there are some reasons why a motion can be withheld under the Vancouver Charter. Um, you know, a motion that that has a. Um, uh, um, if it, if it pertains to negotiations with unions, for example, um, or as something to do with uh, confidentiality, um, you know, that has to do with staff or has to do with, uh, like personnel, that is, or to do with um, um, some some legal issues, um, or if it's illegal in its very nature, uh, fine, the motion can be withheld. Um, but I obtained a legal opinion that verified my motion was not illegal. It was not contravening the. 
Vancouver Charter. I just think Vision did not want to deal with this subject matter at the council table. The heat was on their their Vision Park Board Commissioners. They didn't want to bear it at the council table, but that's my job, to raise an issue that may be uncomfortable for the party that has the majority of yeah. seats, but needs to be dealt with by them. That's democracy. Well, the curious thing is uh, the, park, the Park Board budget ultimately is derived from the city. Is, and is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Yeah. So it yeah. would seem, um, yeah, quite curious to um, to not maybe investigate or look into what this could um, pose or challenges it could pose. Now, you were, um, Jeff Meggs um, had pushed for uh, a code of ethics um, viol- or, uh, review into okay. this. And yeah. can you tell me how that went? Yeah, well, so <laughs> at, the, at the council meeting where all the, this kerfuffle took place, um, it ended with the, with the councillor Meg's um, saying he was going to file a code of conduct complaint against me. He did do that, um, and uh, and then after a period of a week, during which time I was very, very um, personally gratified to see a lot of public support um, come forward for me. Um, Councillor Meggs did withdraw his complaint. And, I mean, partly I think he withdrew it. Well, maybe not partly, maybe wholly he withdrew it because at the time he made the complaint and read out the section of the Code of Conduct, I, I acknowledged that there were some words I used which... Um, could well have been taken to contravene the code of conduct. I immediately apologized mm-hmm. and said um, it was not my intention ever to um, impugn motive on the part of the city manager um, or to in any way um, uh, you know, um, undermine the credibility of her and her position, um, but, uh, but that I did, and I said it also very clearly, I did disagree um, with her decision. Uh, in terms of denying my motion, um, but there's a big difference, um, you know, between disagreeing with somebody on on a substantive decision, and um, and undermining them in, in terms of uh, their personal uh, characteristics, and that you know. So I I I understand clearly the difference. I apologize for any words that may have done, um, you know, done disservice in terms of undermining um, her or impugning motive, but I stand firm. But do, on the you, issue. do you plan to take this issue further? Your the the fact that your motion was denied by the city manager. Um, do you plan to take this further in terms of a legal challenge, or is this is this done? Uh, what what came out of a meeting that was held in the mayor's office between uh, the mayor, Councillor Meggs, and myself, um, at, at, at my request, was a, a was a decision that we all agreed to that we would pursue uh, some sort of process to clarify the um, how the city council agenda is prepared and the distinguishing between the administrative and the legislative um, decisions. Are you confident that you'll receive an adequate response? 
Well, you know, I've read the I've read the laws carefully. I got a legal opinion. I'm confident in the legal opinion I got, and I hope that the clarification that that occurs through this process is in line with uh, with what uh, what my interpretation is and and the lawyer I hired's interpretation. Um, and if it's not, um, I still think that I'm right, and I and I reserve the right to then criticize whatever the outcome is. But I'm hopeful that there will they will all reach to the, the you know um, through this process the same point of clarity and understanding um, of the difference between the role of the uh, of the administration at city hall um, and the role of the legislators which is which is the hired uh, sorry not the hired um, uh, staff but the the elected council what do you think we're likely to see ultimately with um, the community center negotiations? Um, are we likely to see the centralization um, be be a done deal ultimately, or is it likely to be contested and challenged? Well, I was very disappointed when I went to the park board meeting, which lasted till three. 15, 3.30 in the morning um, several weeks ago, um, that, uh, that although um, there were words spoken to say that the park board uh, commissioners were open to a, a different model than suggested in, in the staff report, and that model suggested in the staff report was one where um, there would only be one community center association for the whole of the city, so all the rest would just be done away with, I guess and a um, central pooling of the monies so that, again, a centralization of the decisions over all, you know, financial matters and the control of, those, um, uh, of all those budgets in, in, in a centralized uh, function at the park board. That was the plan. There were words that, uh, that came out of the mouths of, of commissioners saying, oh, well, we're open uh, to some other model. But they didn't change the motion that they ended up voting on at 315 as the um, negotiating instructions to the park board manager. And in that motion, it, it still states one community center association pooling of funds. That did not leave me with a, a very high comfort level in terms of, of envisioning something different occurring. I want to wrap up and let you go quickly here, but I want to ask you, what's uh, what's the Green Party and what's your stance on uh, dealing with the, the funding dilemma at TransLink? And then a second uh, question to that is, um, what's your preferred um, option along Broadway and um, sort of how do we prioritize or should we have to prioritize um, major transit projects across the region and, and how does Vancouver fit into that discussion? Uh, well, the Green Party has always had a very clear stand at the provincial level, um, which has been that uh, we need TransLink to be an elected body, not a, an appointed body. Um, you can see that the Mayor's Council at TransLink um, offers good suggestions forward to the provincial government that keep getting rejected. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's that's not a solution. Um, and uh, and and financing. I mean, it, it, it's it's a very tricky situation, and and. TransLink itself is 
underfunded. Um, this should be a greater share of the tax dollars on the gas tax flowing from the federal government back into into transit. Um, so there's a you know in, in the Green Party's position, uh, you know we were very strong in in the most recent federal elections on wanting to see a complete um, uh, switch of, of the federal government in terms of backing off uh, transit funding and, and instead moving towards um, increased transit funding because that's a, a marvelous way to increase people's quality of life and to get at our, our greenhouse gas um, emissions and, and get them reduced. So um, strong supporters of transit and uh, strong supporters of local democratic control over the decision-making body called TransLink. Um, so, in terms of uh, of the movement forward, you know, I don't think that at the TransLink table we should be, um, you know, making or at the, that table there should be people making decisions about, um, you know, preferred for preferred forms of transit. That that should be done in consultation with people at the grassroots community level. And I know that there are many people in Vancouver who uh, want to see, for example, a, you know, a more electrified system rather than a um, rather than the tr- uh, the diesel buses. Mm-hmm. So the B lines are great in terms of moving people, but why aren't we using electric B lines instead of diesel B lines mm-hmm. buses? Um, and many people who who want to see an expansion of the electrified trolley system um, and uh, in longer cars, you know, almost like a you know a street car system, mm-hmm. um, you know that that could be more cost effective um, compared to, for example, the kind of SkyTrain model, which is 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 very high cost. Um, in terms of regional, the, a regional approach, I mean, I think that uh, we, you know, we live in a region. We we all have, you know, cities and, you know, that, that border on each other, you know, whether it's Burnaby, you know, Richmond, and then further out to Coquitlam, Surrey, et cetera. Um, uh, but, uh, and, and people move back and forth. So a regional approach, whether they live in, in one community and, and work in another, and there's reverse commutes going on right now too, where originally people were mostly living living in suburbs, commuting downtown. Now we're seeing people living in Vancouver and commuting to suburbs. It's, a, it's a, quite an amazing situation. Anyway, the, um, the point is a regional approach should be one that also that looks at where the kind of high priorities are in terms of ridership and need to move vehicles off the, off the road. Because in my mind, we as a region should be absolutely committed to reducing our dependence on the car and reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. The highest ridership, however, of any single route in all of North America is the Broadway B line and the lines out to UBC. Mm-hmm. So it's it's one that should take um, priority, um, but it shouldn't take priority um, if if that priority means sucking all the money into that route and leaving other jurisdictions like Surrey and, and districts south of the Fraser without any major rapid transit. Right. Any final comments before I let you go? It's, uh, it's no, I've got to wrap. Council Carr, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. It was, a, it was truly a pleasure talking with it's you. It's a pleasure talking with you. Take care now. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye.
The Study and Go Abroad Fair is proud to support CITR's Fund Drive from February 26th to March 8th. The fair is a great opportunity for anyone considering studying, volunteering, working, or traveling abroad. Exhibitors will include universities from around the world and student travel organizations. The Study and Go Abroad Fair happens Tuesday, March 5th from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. in the East Ballroom of the Vancouver Convention Center. All visitors will also be entered in a grand draw with prizes including a trip on Air Canada, a volunteer trip in Nicaragua or Nepal, and an iPad. CITR will also be doing a live broadcast from the fair with interviews, demos, and more. For more information, go to studyandgoabroad.com. A billion dollars on the ground, all stretched out and uncurled, would extend about four times around the circumference of the world. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the Main Street area at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Lucky's Comics, Neptune Records, RX Comics, Red Cat Records, The Regional Assembly of Text, Temple of the Modern Girl Boutique, The Wallflower Modern Diner, and Woo Vintage Clothing. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To find out more, visit us in room 233 of the sub on the UBC campus or online at citr.ca. And you're listening here to The City on CITR 101.9 FM, citr.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, cjsf.ca, and available always as a podcast, um, and you can find that at thecityfm.org. And I'm Andy Longhurst, and uh, we're about at the end of the program. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, for the uh, hour, we were hearing um, from uh, Vancouver City Councilor Adrian Carr with the Green Party, and uh, she's the first uh, Green Party um, councillor ever elected municipally here in the city of Vancouver and uh, discussing a number of issues. So if you missed part of that discussion um, or uh, want to hear part of it again, um, you can check that out again. Uh, that's going to be posted as a podcast at www.thecityfm.org. And I also want to mention um, the city will not be um, airing live next Tuesday from 5 to 6, uh, March 5th. Uh, due to a live broadcast, so um, we'll actually be um, broadcasting Monday 5 to 6, um, March 4th. So uh, just a, a, a scheduling change, um, but again, uh, the program will be available as a podcast, um, and uh, you can check it out there. Also, if you're listening syndicated on CJ, CJSF 90.1 FM, Burnaby, thank you so much for tuning in, and um, uh, always a pleasure to have listeners across the city and a- across the Lower Mainland and if you're catching it on podcast, thank you for, for doing that as well. Again, your comments are always encouraged, and I'd love to hear from you. Um, you can uh, do that by sending comments to a Longhurst. That's a Longhurst at thecityfm.org, um, or by going to Facebook by searching the city, Critical Urban Discussions. As well, you can also um, uh, find the, the city on, on Twitter with, uh, the, with the handle the city underscore FM. And uh, always love to hear comments, thoughts, ideas, um, story ideas, programming, anything and, and everything is welcome. We're going to uh, go out, um, but thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week again live here on CITR um, Monday at 5 p.m. and then back to a regular schedule. Fun Drive is coming up here at CITR, um, and we depend on your support to uh, make this fun- the station function and to provide the technical um, and just the basic support and staffing and infrastructure. So please check out the fund drive and support it. Um, more to come on that, but check out www.citr.ca.
www.cfmcmaster.ca for more. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're listening live on CITR, we've got Flex Your Head coming up next at 6 p.m. And if you're listening syndicated on CJSF, you've got Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman coming up next. Thank you so much. I'm Annie Longhurst. Be back next week with more critical urban discussions.